Okay, yeah, let's. Blizzard. We're off to. Store. Oh, you know, remember the old commercial? Don't fool with Mother Nature. You know, you don't fool yeah. around with Mother Nature. Oh yeah. Don't mess around with the gods of airline travel. I have to tell you, I got oh, home okay. a half yeah. an hour yeah. ago. I walked into my apartment I, a half an hour I ago. I understand. Um, and um, so my day was great. Uh, here's what happened. I. Uh, I, this morning, I woke up this morning in Durham, North Carolina, where where I've been all week long doing a show, and which is not a bad little town. Uh, yeah, I didn't get a chance to see very much of it, but what little I did was nice, and the people were pretty pleasant, and uh, uh, the weather was weird. It kind of rained and stormed every day, but then it was nice every day. It was humid as hell. I mean, it was just yeah. Dur- Durham's in a transition area. Is that you know, between what it the is? coast and the mountains? Um, and unfortunately, we lucked out. Wrong, badly uh, uh, as far as the baseball thing is concerned of course people who are baseball fans and movie fans know that the Durham Bulls were the were the uh, the uh, the subject if you will of the uh, legendary uh, baseball movie Bull Durham uh, and uh, so and this particular team on this show a bunch of us are baseball fans uh, two weeks ago we went to a minor league game in uh, when we were in Indianapolis and uh, we were all oh, we're going to see the Durham Bulls but uh, we 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 timed our our uh, stay perfectly to miss them on a road trip. They, oh. they like played in town the night before we arrived, and they will play in town I think tonight or tomorrow night. Um, so we missed the the Durham Bulls. But uh, yeah, it does seem like a nice town, uh, other than the humidity part. Um, and uh, we were actually on the Duke University campus, which is really pretty. Huh. So. Uh, what were we talking about? But so yesterday afternoon, uh, we were originally going to scale. We were going to record this podcast yesterday afternoon, and that didn't happen. And so then, or, or yesterday evening, and so then we we talked about whether we could try and do it today. And I recklessly said, you know, I'm scheduled to be get home. My flight was going to arrive around five o'clock, and that'll get me home. You know, by plenty of time. All I need is like a half an hour to kind of get my catch my breath and throw together some notes and stuff it'll be just fine don't worry about it all right well the gods of airline travel heard this boast all right and decided (laughs) just not to be uh i got on board my first flight i was uh, my my routing was uh was uh uh, rdu raleigh durham to philadelphia and there's the basic mistake right there by the way really to philadelphia um then change planes in philadelphia and go philadelphia to manchester new hampshire so we get on board the plane in durham and uh, everything's going fine, and we taxi away from the gate, and and we taxi away from the gate to this sort of nowhere, you know, away it's from called, the terminal. It's, yeah, it's called the penalty box. That's what I think. It, I thought it might be called that. So we we taxi onto this parking pad and stop, and the captain comes on the intercom and says, "Well, he said just after we taxi away from the gate, they called us and said that uh, we now have a wheels up time of thirty minutes from now." So we're just going to sit here, and we're going to shut down the engines and sit here for about 25 minutes uh, before we move on. So that was the beginning of the whole adventure. So we What's the there. equipment? What's the equipment? It was one of these uh, uh, ERJ, uh, I think it was like a 190 or a 195. Is that the right number? Okay. Yeah, okay. okay. So we're sitting there, and it actually wasn't all that uncomfortable. I, I turned back on my iPod and was listening to some podcasts and took a little nap, and that was fine. All right. So 30 minutes later, we get start up the engines, and we taxi out, and we take off, and we're doing fine. We're flying to Philadelphia, and and it just becomes apparent, even though it's pretty overcast and you can't quite make out direction, it's pretty clear that we're twisting and turning a lot, all right? And after a while, the captain comes back on and says, well, he says, there's all kinds of flow control stuff going on in Philadelphia, and they're delaying us, and they've asked us to slow down, and they're going to put us into a hold here. 
And so, you know, we were going to get you on the ground as soon as we can. So we like zigged and zagged and did at least one, uh, you know, 360 degree hold or turn of some sort. And, uh, and, and then when we finally got cleared, to, apparently to go into the airport, we then still went off into the middle of nowhere and looped around and came about and cut down. The, the upshot is that, uh, we landed, and all in this this plane, as you might imagine, is filled with people who are grumbling about missing connections. All right, mm-hmm. uh, because at this point we're now like sixty five minutes behind schedule arriving at the gate. All right, and that's pretty much kills most people. I had like an hour and fifteen minutes between connections, so I figure I'm okay. You know, so I get out of the airplane, I make a beeline to the next gate, I arrive at the next gate at like like as the last of the passengers are boarding. So I'm thinking, whew, okay, that crisis is averted. No problem. <laughs> but it's but it's not the flight that you're supposed to be on. It's the previous flight. No, no, Your no, flight no. hasn't even yeah, arrived no, no, that would yet. Be good. That would be a good story. But no, that's not the way it went. So uh, so we uh, climb on board this airplane, which is another uh, ERJ, a, a 170 this time. And uh, we... Uh, so how did this go? Okay, so so we push back from the gate. They start up the engines. Now here's a picture. This you got to picture the scene. The airplanes. The the airport is operating southbound. All right, they're taking off towards the south. All right. Mm-hmm. So you get out, out, taxi away from the gate, and you should then turn left and taxi up to the north end of the runway so that you can taxi in a position and take off to the south, right? We turned to the south, and we taxied all the way down to the wrong end of this runway. As we're taxiing, I'm looking out the window, and I'm going, there's an awful lot of airplanes on taxiways. (laughs) And I'm just everywhere I can look. Everywhere there's a taxiway. The line forms to the south, brother. (laughs) Everywhere I look. The line forms in Baltimore. (laughs) Everywhere I look, there are airplanes waiting to take off. I'm not kidding. It's just amazing. Okay, we uh, So we taxi way on down to the wrong end of the airport, and we hang out down there for a while. Captain comes on. And says, "Well, here's the situation. Uh, there's a bunch of weather in the area and other things, and a lot of aircraft that are waiting to go have been given holds, so they can't go." He says, and, and he didn't say good news, bad news, but you can almost hear him think, you know, there's good news and there's bad news. The good news is we don't aren't one of the ones that has a hold. The bad news is we're stuck behind a whole bunch of people who are, are being held, so we can't taxi to the runway or we can't physically get there. All right, and we sat in this one spot for about I don't know a half an hour or something like that, and we couldn't move. And we finally moved, did something I don't think I've ever done in an airliner, which is we actually back taxi on one of the active runways. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, because they, what they were trying to do is they were trying to undo this log jam. They had all these airplanes. Right. They were just like, you know. Trying to get those of you with departure slot times right out of the queue of yeah. those. So, so, you know, we're at the, like I said, we're at the departure end of this active runway um, on, the ta- on the parallel taxiway and stuck. And suddenly, uh, I know that the airplane in front of us and our airplane suddenly kind of get to, a, to one of the, uh, you know, angled uh, uh uh, taxiways or uh, and uh, and actually taxi and you can almost feel the way he was taxiing was like not the way you know they usually taxi kind of casually they're just rolling down he was like going fast he was like we're on the on the, we're on an on the runway, runway and I don't want to be here want, very long yeah I don't, don't want to do this I don't want to do this yeah at all. so we taxied yeah. about I think maybe one or two intersections on this runway and then got off again and and then managed to taxi down we were still like number five for takeoff but we finally got going and uh, um, but all of this would be, would be resolved yeah. If we had next gen, if yeah. we threw billions and billions of dollars at Lockmart and Boeing and all of these other big companies, so we could have next gen, so we could fly direct from point to point. Yeah, that's what would solve the problem. No. Yes. Oh yeah. No. What would pavement, that happening? What would solve pavement the problem? Does, 
pavement doesn't have anything to do with it. Right. Sure right? it does. If there were more runways right? at Philadelphia. Oh, yeah, you're being facetious. I'm being very facetious. Yeah, because yeah. clearly, if there were more runways at Philadelphia, I mean, that's just basically the problem they've got there, it seems to me. They're also, you know, they're kind of like the... I don't know. You, probably, you guys probably know more about this than I do. What is the situation in Philadelphia? Because I've heard stories that this is not unusual. They, they're, you know, just have a lot of well, problems. The, with- the biggest part, the biggest problem for Philadelphia is that it's close to Newark. It's close to New York. See, that's what I was you thinking. Know, it's like it's, it's like right a- there in that that massive East Coast traffic corridor that starts at Boston and ends at Richmond or right. Charlotte. And when things get jammed up, Newark and Kennedy get priority and. Philadelphia gets holding well, patterns. Well, it's it's not just that they don't necessarily get priority, uh, but the 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 problem is that you got if look at a flow control map, look at FlightAware one day, and yeah. and just ask it to show you all the airplanes that are in the air on instrument flight plans at one time, say at seven thirty or eight o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know that that corridor between Miami and Boston. It's going to look like it could make the East Coast tip over into the Atlantic and disappear. Yeah. 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 Okay. And, Phil- and, Philadelphia and it's has. It's heavy until you get out to St. Louis. And then beyond St. Louis, Chicago, and the Dallas area, then it gets real thin. And then you get another concentration on the California, Oregon, Washington coastline there on the Pacific side. But it, it ain't anywhere near what you got up and down the East Coast. Mm-hmm. And particularly between Washington and Boston, it's just bloody, you know, insane. It is. Yeah, um, I mean, I've been imagining how I would, uh, you know, so I, I'm, I'm you know, I, I've already got myself into the idea that I'm going to own an airplane one day soon or whatever. And I'm thinking, okay, and I'm going to go fly and fly, I'm going to travel, you know, and, and one of the places to travel is to try and go down the East Coast to get as far as Sarasota even, you know. And I'm trying to picture how I would actually route it, you know. I mean, I suppose by then I'll have my instrument rating and I can just kind of go whatever well, way they it, let me go but it, instrument rating will be helpful on a lot of days but not using instrument rating will also be helpful on a lot of right. days when you can stay you know in airspace that uh, doesn't subject you to positive control you might wind up flying a little bit out of your way yeah but at the same time you'll be getting there when needing instrument handling might mean that you you you're going to get there, but we just can't accommodate you right now. Yeah. Yeah. Stand by. Your clearance will be along in 30 minutes. Because that can familiar. happen to us because of the same reasons that it happens to the airlines, saturation. Yeah. Get familiar with the, the Huguenot VOR out uh, uh, north and, and uh, well, basically north of uh, the New York City area. Mm-hmm. Um, but mainly, you know, Dave's right. Try, you know, when you can, go VFR. When you can't, uh, just be, carry plenty of fuel, mm-hmm. be patient, and uh, have a pad of a paper and a pencil ready Yeah, because you will get rerouted. When, when you lived in, uh, in Virginia, did you fly north along the coast much? Did you fly up into New England very often? Along the coast? Well, not, uh, not necessarily along the coast, but, but north. Yeah, did you go up to New I England? Had, uh, there was a period of time where I had several trips up into um, uh, White Plains, uh-huh, okay. uh, uh, up into Albany, New York. Um, um, I remember going into Teterboro, um, you know, things like that. Now, when you were um, going to like Albany or, or White Plains, did you try and avoid the, uh, the Philly, well, it's kind New of, York metro area? It, it's kind of hard to do because, uh, coming out of DC, you basically are going to go up towards Harrisburg and up towards Lancaster. 
this this gets into the old, uh, and I, well, we've talked about this before, of how ATC has to put you together to keep you apart. Um, yeah, they want they want you routed along certain routes at certain altitudes. That you know, yeah, it does make their job simpler in that everybody's doing pretty much the same thing. Um, but it does create also a high workload, and it creates congestion. So I was saying got, you, you're stuck with separation standards and such that just mean that. You know, if traffic exceeds a certain level, just maintaining separation alone uh, is going to choke up the airways and, and constrain capacity when you're trying to route everybody through an airway, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a, a, a highway. And it may be, you know, dog-legged out to Wazoo, but that's the way the nav aids were set up, which is how this all got started. And when the nav aids got set up that, that way and that's what everybody was using, then the procedures got built around the nav-aids. Because without area nav, they really weren't comfortable that people could fly precisely enough to maintain safe separation in actual instrument conditions to use off-airway routings, you know, not without something on the ground to give you a reference point. Mm -hmm. Uh, the world's changed a lot in the last 20 years. So Lorand C started it. Uh, GPS has closed the loop, and we're still, you know, we're still fighting along with a system that's geared predominantly to putting people on airways to manage the flow, because that's the way the procedures are set up. That's the way their local operating <coughs> agreements are set up, and that's the way that. The uh, underlying technology for tracking these guys is set up to support the whole thing. Uh, we haven't built into a ATC's thinking and procedures a trust factor for point-to-point, you know, what they were calling free flight 15 years ago. Remember yeah, that? I do remember that. Free yeah. flight. We were all just going to be able to take the most optimal route, and the computers would be able to sort us out and, and help control flow with speed adjustments and so forth. Be like a big uh, game of bumper planes. Yeah, except the uh, the 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 ground technology really wasn't up to the task of supporting the computer processing and then the ultimate displaying on the screens. That's one of the game changers that it, ADSB holds promise to do. But that's not a guarantee it'll do. You know, if you'll pardon the expression, dick or all, without changes in the underlying procedures and the underlying philosophy and the mindset of the whole system, which is that you can route people way out, branch them out on parallel arcing routes and back together at points where they need to converge uh-huh. and do that more efficiently. And then, of course, there's that non-problem of, yeah, we can put a lot more airplanes in the airspace. Uh, how are we going to put more airplanes on the runways? Right, right. Telephone. While you're answering the telephone, I will first of all remind people that so the, le- the lesson here is don't mess with the gods of airline travel. And uh... <laughs> Ten Hut. The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace Podcast are appearing as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. What are you looking at? Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. 
You should always remember your training. Consider your situation and fly the aircraft. Now drop and give me 20 down. Welcome, folks, to episode 137 of Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. We are finally recording this episode on Friday evening, May 29, 2009. And joining me here in the virtual hangar is uh, Dave Higdon, who I think is on the telephone right now. Whose phone was that ringing? Was that yours, Dave? No, I'm not on the phone. Oh, it was uh, Jeff's phone. Must better half phone. picked that up. Dave Higdon's here, and uh, he's joining us from Wichita, Kansas. How you doing, Dave? Doing good. Doing good. Uh, got to fly some this week. Got ah. to sample some new G-Wiz stuff, uh, new G-Wiz technology that I'll be putting out information publicly here over the next few weeks. And that's always fun. Yeah. That's always fun. Very, very cool. Also here in the hangar is Jeb Burnside, who's talking to us from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. And he's on the telephone. Somewhere near Norma. Oh, that's right. It was, it was Dave, but Annie got it. Okay. Hi, Jeb. How are you? <laughs> I am spiffy. <laughs> Tupper noticed, by the way, he sent a tweet. You guys aren't, tw- aren't on Twitter, which is perhaps wise. But anyways, you guys aren't on Twitter. But uh, Tupper uh, got was tickled by the fact that he finally realized that you've been us- using his I Hope uh-huh. the Fish line uh-huh. at the end of a bunch of episodes. So, uh, uh, you know. Well, I, I didn't really do it as a, you know a episode ender. I was just... I don't know. We somehow got onto that at one point or <laughs> yeah. another. So, how you doing? What's going up down? What's going on down in Sarasota? Um, just hanging out. Um, you know, trying to wipe the sweat off the brow and uh, uh, keep the shiny side up. Um, Man, is it already humid season in Florida? Well, is- it's it's humid, but we're getting a respite here over the weekend. We've got some dry air coming in. Um, Man, it's humid season it's, in Durham, North Carolina. I'll tell you. Yeah, it, it rained a little. It was a little shower this morning on the way into work, and. Uh, that's un, very unusual. Uh, normally, the showers will come in the evenings, and we have, we need to have a shower this evening. So, but uh, we're supposed to get some cooler air in and uh, um, be a lot better weekend. Yeah. On the so, other hand, I had some of the best barbecue I've had since I visited Memphis in North Carolina. Oh, in Memphis? No, but in Durham, I had. We you had to, some good barbecue in oh, Durham. Oh yeah, we went yeah. to a really cool barbecue. They, place. North Carolina barbecue. They tend to use a vinegar-based sauce. Okay, I mean, I'm no connoisseur. I just I uh, yeah, know what I yeah. like, and this was tasty. I'll and, tell you. And yeah, and then in in Memphis, of course, they use a um, much thicker uh, sauce. That, um, yeah, that's consistent. Molasses, my, my experience. Yeah, yeah. So, molasses based. Had some good, good. food. And I'm no, Jack. I'm not, Hodge, I'm not a connoisseur either. But yeah, yeah, I'm not a connoisseur either. But go ahead. Yeah, and I'm Jack Hodgson, and I'm talking to you from the home office in Dover, New Hampshire. Finally, uh, home again. The home. Office. Finally back to the home office. Finally back to the home office. Although I've been back, I was back for a whole week. I, I can't. I can't. I gotta quit. Quit whining because um, I've been, <laughs> I've been home a little bit lately, and I'm now I'm home for another week and a half, and, uh, and then I do my annual Las Vegas trip. But we'll talk more about that later. Your on. annual Las MacWorld well, or something? No, it's actually it's a it's a, a show for it's called HP Tech Forum. HP. Yeah, it's not an Apple related show. It's for it's Hewlett Packard related show. Okay. And, okay. Uh, big big. Hewlett Packard, sort of like the MacWorld of. I'm sure they, I'm sure my Hewlett Packard clients would love to hear me referring to it this way. It's the MacWorld of the Hewlett Packard industry. Uh, uh-huh. it's, it's a huge trade show. It's like I mean, Hewlett and you Packard's and you only think you're going this year. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> okay, make a note. Edit out the section around twenty five. <laughs> um, what was I going to talk about? Oh, I know. What I wanted to mention and is the way uh, he goes. 
I uh, last weekend I mentioned that be, uh, just after the last episode I mentioned that I was headed off on Saturday to go to the Ragwing Fly-In. Uh, How at, did that go? Uh, it was very cool. I uh, had a lot of fun. Uh, the uh, The weather wasn't perfect. There was some overcast, but it was pretty high. It was about seven eight thousand feet, so it was more than high enough to you know. So it wasn't a beautiful, spectacular blue sky day, but it was plenty fine for flying. And they had about I don't know maybe a dozen. Uh, uh, you know, fabric wing aircraft there. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, oddly, most of them were cubs. It was really strange. There was like just a slew of cubs, about half of them being classic yellow cl- cubs and the others being super cubs. Uh-huh. And uh, when time came to do the um, the flower drop, f- flower bomb drop comp- uh-huh. competition <laughs> and the uh, and the uh, spot landing contest, uh, there were like seven aircraft participating, and they were all Cubs. It was really, yeah. They did yeah. something I've never seen done before, which is they actually did a little parade of aircraft. Right? They sort of have a large-ish ramp there at Sanford, and uh, they were actually able to – the airplanes were all parked off on, in the grass to one side. And they all went, you know, they had their briefing in the hangar prior, and then they all went out and and, uh, and started up, and then they taxied in trail right past the the main, you know, uh, deck where they were barbecuing of the uh, of the uh, FBO. It was kind of cool. They had this little parade of that sounds like great fun. Yeah, and, but they were all Cubs, which was kind of odd, you know. And uh, they went off, and uh, and uh, they all did takeoffs one after the other, and then then did each did their passes and dropped their flower, their little bags of flour, and uh, uh, it was it was very pleasant, and, and once again had great pancakes. All of these pancakes were made this time. Uh, pancakes were provided by uh, EAA Chapter Two Twenty Five, which also did a Young Eagles rally uh, okay. at the same time. You as know, EA. it's. A- there's little better in the world than pancakes at a fly-in. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And then they uh, have they, that. They just have that air about them. Yeah. And then late morning they changed over to uh, burgers and hot dogs and sausages, and uh, so we had a nice morning and, and lunchtime at uh, Sanford. Cool. I had a chance to. They had on display uh, a, a local or regional from Portland, Maine, um, aircraft dealer had a. Uh, a G one thousand one seventy two sitting out in the ramp with a mm-hmm. for sale sign. I was kind of showing it off, and uh, I wandered out to a for sale he, sign on it. How much did he want for it? You know, and I didn't ask. I dumb, foolish of me. I didn't ask. Um, was it brand new? It was brand new. It's a brand new SP um, with a G one thousand. I'll give him a hundred thousand. Yeah. yeah, and uh, nice That'll airplane. That'll get you. Nice That'll airplane. get you a, a wing and part of the tail. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, so I was—I didn't realize it was new. I mean, it was a nice-looking airplane, you could see, but it was kind of on the far side of the ramp. So I walked out to it to take a look, and it was only when I got up close that I realized a) it was a brand new airplane, and b) that it had a G1000 in it. So I'm uh-huh. kind of—and the, and the door is open. Obviously, he wants to show it off, so I'm kind of uh-huh. poking around and looking at it and sticking my head in the cockpit. And suddenly, the sales guy kind of makes a beeline. You know, <laughs> we got one. You know, and so we were chatting for a while, talking about the airplane, and I was saying, you know, I'm, I'm sort of in the market, but don't have the budget for a new airplane so i'm you know probably thinking about something used and we were talking about that and 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 here's you 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 keep my card because when this airplane's 20 years old i might be ready to buy it yeah right (laughs) that's right but no apparently they've got some they've got some used 172s on their list so uh, we agreed to get together and i gave him my information and he gave me his card and uh, I know where you can get a brand new airplane for six ninety eight a month. I know. Let's come back in a second. I just wanted to say. So what did I want? Oh, see now you've broken my chain of thought. Oh, what was I saying? Um, <laughs> in any event, oh, Sorry, I know what I want to say. So just to finish the thought, so I'm talking to this guy. Now we've been joking around over the last couple episodes about the fact that uh, that uh, uh, 
Jeb and I got our meteor ride on the uh, Aero Shell. I mean, no joke about that. It was cool. But mm-hmm. uh, joking about the fact that we're sort of, dis- sort of discovering that you can maybe get meteor rides as, as a result <laughs> of being a podcaster <laughs> and, and talking about our friend uh, 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 Steve Tupper, who's who's becoming the kind of patron saint of podcast meteor rides. And uh, um, so I'm talking to this dealer, this, this aircraft dealer, about how I'm, I'm maybe in the market for an airplane. He says, hey, come on up to Come on up to Portland someday, and we'll, we'll give you a demo flight. I'm going, yeah, you should do that. And my eyes because suddenly they'll, they'll do that even if you're not associated with a podcast. Yeah, well, I know. I mean, it's not the podcast part. I suddenly realize there's a yet another way to get free airplane rides. Uh-huh. And uh, I'm thinking, oh, okay. Oh, man, Chepper's rubbing off on you more well, and more. That's what he said. He said he's watching me with – He's I forgot what term he used. But he, he, considered, he, he, he should be looking over his shoulder. Yeah, he, uh, he, he sort go. of referred to me as, a, as an apprentice in this, in this <laughs> area apprentice. of uh, – as Steve's got a way to catch up with some of the rest of us. Well, so. yeah, I'm sure you you've been yeah you've got this thing mastered. But uh. that's what makes part of it part of it so much fun to watch him. It's like uh, discovered the uh, one of the perquisites possible, not available to everybody, but possible uh, in a totally different profession than the one that he uses to pay for the possibilities. So. <laughs> You know, good good for him if you can make it work. All you got to yeah. do is maintain your credibility. Yeah. Six ninety eight a month airplane. What's that all? Six ninety eight a month airplane. Yeah, uh, that's a new legend cub. So this is a, a new airplane. I mean, it is a it's a, it's what? a brand new airplane. A legend yeah. is an LSA, right? It is an LSA. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, huh. and and that's what is six ninety eight get you? Is that just cover? That just makes the payments or. That makes the payments based on. Uh, all right, I, I want to quote this accurately. Makes the payments based on the base price, fifteen percent down, and a twenty-year note. Okay. And for a brand new airplane, uh, a Cub that's wider, nicer handling, uh, has some advantages over a real vintage Cub. Nothing wrong with real vintage Cubs, and they will be less expensive, but they will be less capable. And uh, the uh, the uh, six ninety eight a month is what it will cost you after you uh, cover the down payment and and uh, set up the twenty year financing, and then you got to factor. Oh, let's say a hundred hour. If you're going to fly a hundred hours a year, I'm going to suggest. Six ninety eight a month additional to maintain, fly, hangar, and uh, uh, insure the airplane. I don't think that's far fetched for that value in uh-huh. airplane and that and that kind of flying. Who was it gave us a percent? Gave us a, a multiplier? Someone? Who was it we had on the podcast that was talking about buying airplane? Buying an airplane and he. And he had a multiplier. He said uh, it's the cost of fuel times three or something like that. Yeah, that's basically right. Mike Bush might have been the one. Mike Bush, I, thought, I, think I think it was Mike, and it's yeah. kind of yeah. close to the same one we use. Yeah, it's it's uh, it depends. I mean, the total cost of ownership is going to be about the cost of fuel times times three. The hourly operating cost is going to be about the cost of fuel times two. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, obviously with the price of fuel in flux and um, um, I don't know if fungible is the right word, but uh, um, 
that you know that can vary a lot. You know, if fuel goes to five dollars a gallon, some places it is five dollars a gallon. But if fuel goes, you know, down here, I filled up Saturday, Sunday, whenever it was. Uh, I think it was two ninety three a gallon. Really? Which is yeah, two ninety three. Yeah. And, and this is about a five gallon like, an hour airplane. Yeah, the, I mean, this uh, is this is not a high fuel consumption machine. So, uh, you know, if you can get fuel for four bucks a gallon as an average over a hundred hours a year, uh, you know, five five gallons an hour, a hundred hours is going to cost you five hundred gallons times four. That's two grand. Uh, that's about a hundred and twenty bucks a month. Mm-hmm. Is that about right? And that's a, that's flying a hundred hours a year, kids. I mean, that that's not low utilization uh, because you're not going to fly every weekend you're not going to fly every week necessarily uh, 100 hours a year 2 hours a week sounds yeah, that's pretty reasonable uh, you get out and enjoy the airplane play with it uh, and you balance out winter months and summer days when flying's not on your agenda or weather is against you uh, you you can wind up looking at you know 4 or three and a half, four hours a week for the eight weeks that you do fly to make a hundred hours a year right. quite easily. Yeah. Cool. And uh, at the speeds this airplane flies, uh, you know, I'm not going to lie and say, oh, this is the cross-country airplane of your dreams. That's not its point. Uh, but sitting here in Wichita, there are, oh, I don't know, a dozen different destinations uh, that I can think of as weekend getaways that would be reachable in an airplane like this in two and a half hours of airtime each way. And that's not unreasonable. Mm. You know, you're talking about 250, 260 miles by air. Uh, you're talking a lot, long, bloody time in a car to match that. So, uh, you know, it's something to think about. I just I threw that in there because... Uh, I recently had a conversation with somebody who was looking at old airplanes that, you know, what he what we would call legacy LSAs, and he was just dumbfounded at what he was finding price-wise, as in he couldn't believe it was going to be that cheap and still be an airplane worth owning. And I said, well, you know, you're driving, this guy's driving a $75,000 vehicle. Uh, what's that cost you? Well, I got it on a lease, and it'll go back, and then I'll get another one on a lease. Yeah, but what's it cost you? Uh, Six hundred and fifty bucks a month. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm going, dude. Six hundred and fifty bucks, seven hundred bucks a month. Uh, you could be flying to a lot of things. You're driving that big SUV, and it's eighteen miles per gallon too. Uh, you know, when it's him and a girlfriend or a buddy and, and, and gear for the weekend, wow, you really need a ton of capacity to be making those trips. Uh, so, yeah. oh, wow, you could do this in a new airplane. Yeah, cool. I was just looking at the picture of the Legend Cub, and it looked familiar. It, it turns out it's – I just sent you a link. I don't know if you got it. Uh, this is a, a picture. Well, I'm, I'm looking at the Legend website. Yeah, but I, I just sent you a link in uh, in chat of Skype. Is okay, it? I got the link. You got the money, honey. I got the time. Oh, how cool. Uh, this is a picture from Now, that's the, not a legend cup. Yeah, I, I, once I looked, I realized it wasn't. It just looked similar. But uh, that's a picture from the uh, Ragwing Fly-In. And, oh, cool. Um, that was... Uh, 
Uh, that airplane was sitting out there. Uh, we'll put a link to this in the show notes. It's a, a Cub-like little, uh, I don't know, it must be an LSA. It's got a tail number on it. So uh, I don't uh, say, from the looks of it, it could be an ultralight. Uh, it, I don't <clears throat> think it's ultralight. It's not, it was a little bit. Was it single seat? No, it was two seats. It was two seats? Yeah, it's very cozy, but it's two seats. Wow, that must have been a chore to get into the back of that yeah, puppy. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this is from the Ragwing fl- wing flying. As you can see, it was kind of overcast. It, it, it wasn't as gray as this picture makes it look, but uh, it, was, it wasn't a blue sky sunny day. But it was nice. It was a pretty good crowd, and they were all there uh, hanging out on the deck there, uh, chatting and, and eating their pancakes. And uh, mm-hmm. and I think that if you look sort of to the lower right of that picture, there's another thumbnail, and that shows a bunch of the cubs lined up there over on the Oh, place. yeah. Right. Oh, how cool. Yeah. So... Uh, We'll put these in the in the show notes. But uh, anyway. well, one of the things that impressed me about the the little legend, and uh, there's another cub, you know, company building cubs in the LSA uh, category, uh, really doing an excellent job with those as well. But the thing that uh, impresses me about both of these reiterations, reinventions of the J3, is that they've made the airplane's roomier. They've made it possible to solo from the front seat, uh, which if you've ever flown solo in the, in the back seat of an airplane where you had to fly solo from the back seat, uh, the instruments and gauges that you got to fly with are kind of far away. Not always the easiest to see in real. Yeah. When, uh, when all these Cub pilots, like I said, there's three or four of these were, uh, were classic you know, um, yellow Cubs. And uh, the, I noticed that one guy was soloing it from the front seat, which I thought was kind of interesting. I thought you always soloed a cub from the back seat. Well, that was probably not an original J3. Yeah, yeah it may have because been. Because I believe the Super Cub you solo from the front seat. Maybe it was a Super Cub that was in paint job of, a, of the, you know, the classic uh, yellow cub colors. I don't know. The, the Legend Cub and the Cub Crafters Cub. And Cub Crafters is the other outfit, and they got into business originally rebuilding and then manufacturing uh, Super Cub designs. Right, yeah. And now they've got an LSA and their own J3, uh, uh, their own J3 uh, update. And like the uh, Legend Cub, the Cub Crafters one, I'm pretty sure on this, they both, you can solo both of them from the front seat, uh, which will make them look a little bit odd. Uh, as you can get these airplanes with the old open cowls, that is the, the, the engine cylinders are hanging out in the wind with little air scoops and makes them look like the, you know, the, the vintage continental powered 65 horse cub. And in fact, it'll be a new updated one with a hundred horsepower continental and uh, pilots sitting in the front seat instead of the back. It can be confusing to the old guys like me. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Hey, Jeb, you still there? How do you hear? I'm, I'm still here. Okay, I'm good. Still here. just wanted to make sure. I know your network connection is a little, a little wonky tonight. Uh, all winter long, I've been reading this blog from, uh, from, the, uh, from EAA, from the Air Venture folks, uh, a blog done by uh, Steve Taylor of the EAA staff. Uh, and he's been updating us throughout the winter, uh, last fall, and then and then they actually kind of suspended for the winter, but then late winter as they continued with the uh, 
the new, the, I don't know what you call it, renovation or whatever, of the uh, AirVenture uh, convention site out there at Whitman Field. And uh, they're, they're doing probably the most dramatic uh, improvements to the site that they've done in quite a few years. Uh, and uh, it's, uh, it's going to be very different. It's, in some ways it'll be very much the same, but in some ways it's going to be very different. And uh, Dave, you called our attention to the fact that EAA has now posted a, uh, a yet a, a new map of the grounds so that you can kind of see where things are relative to each other. And, uh, yeah, it's actually a, a site. A, a, a section of the EAA.org or the Airvent, I'm sorry, the Airventure.org website that's dedicated to showing us the changes in the site plan and the location of things within the site plan. So Airventure.org slash site plan just gets you to the opening page of this and uh, you can get a whole guide. You can look at the uh, guide to site changes uh you know, the logic why they did this. Uh, they've got an on-site photo tour. Uh, like you said, Steve's AirVenture site blog. Uh, if you've never been there before, strongly encourage you to take a look at this to give yourself a leg up when you're finding your way around. If you're an old regular, like some people I know, uh, you definitely want to take a look at this puppy so that you're not, you're not getting there cold turkey and going, whoa. Uh, why has everything moved? Yeah, well, I, I guess some things have moved. Everything hasn't moved, but but definitely there are some things that have moved. My, no, there's a lot that's moved. There's a lot that's no longer where it was. There's some stuff that's no longer there at all. <laughs> Sorry, and then the same thing. There's a lot that's moved, and there's a lot that's no longer where it was. Well, I mean, it's not there, period. Oh, yeah, okay. It's not that it moved someplace. Yeah. It went away. They, yeah. uh... They've built a brand new, uh, what is it, antique and classics hangar. That's going to be kind of cool. They, this big, uh, big And they building. put in these diagonal roadways. Yep, the diagonal yeah. roadways will be kind of cool because it'll There's be... There's going to be changes in where traffic is, you know, vehicles are allowed, things right. like our gators and scooters, yep. uh, which, you know, could help unclutter things for the pedestrians, mm -hmm. uh, could simultaneously make accomplishing some of the... Uh, behind-the-scenes work a little more interesting, but we'll see. Yep. Change is, you know, change comes. Uh, change is the only constant. Yeah. Well, change and death. Yeah. So it's going to be cool. They, uh, I'm sorry, Jeb, you were going to say? And, and taxes. And taxes. Oh, taxes aren't inevitable. Just ask anybody over the half a million category. They, oh, okay. they pay less than anybody. So check so out airventure.org slash site plan and, uh, and uh, <laughs> get the official word and go back to, and there's a link there to uh, Steve's AirVenture site blog, and you can kind of go back through all of the uh, postings and kind of watch the progress throughout the fall and the winter and in the spring. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing it. Fareed told us a little bit about it when he was on the podcast uh, a couple yeah, yeah, weeks Fareed ago. Yeah, Fareed was talking and, about uh, it. And, and uh, so... Wow, gang! It's it's, it's like eight uh, we're weeks. We're doing it's this like on the 29th of May. Two months. Uh, less than two months out. Yeah, July sure. 27th. Yep. Last couple weeks, well, I don't know. Off and on, forever in the podcast, we've talked about the the uh, the, the pros and cons of using autogas, MoGas, uh, in your airplane, and uh, or you know, airplanes that that are able to take MoGas. It, it suddenly triggered a, a thread in the forums um, <laughs> where a number of different uh, listeners, and I also got some emails, and I think I saw some Twitters about this, and I kind of triggered this whole thing where a number of listeners are saying 
that uh, they're just really not in, at all interested in putting MOGAS in their airplane, um, mm-hmm. even if it is, you know, technically safe. Um, and and all of the issues, all of the criticisms, basically boil down to this sort of perceived impurity of of uh, of. Uh, of auto gas, they they refer to things like uh, residues and, uh-huh. and goo buildups and you know things like that. Um, you know, you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, they're they're yeah. right. <laughs> um, no gas is is kind of a witch's brew uh, in a lot of different ways. It's it's uh, uh, in the past there have been a lot of regional differences, and for um, a uh, variety of reasons, a lot of those regional differences have gone away. Re- regional differences in its formulation. Um, yeah. it, they've gone away mainly because some of the chemicals used back then are no longer available or, or uh, you know, are growing three-headed mice and, and stuff like that. Um, but the, the fundamental problems with its stability, long-term storage, uh, things like that, still remain. Um, those of you who have lawnmowers, for example, uh, you probably put the lawnmower away, stuck it in the garage or in the shed out back, uh, say September or something like that last year, and and um, maybe just recently um, tried to dig it out of the shed or the garage and, and crank it up and get it, get it running. And if you didn't think about it a little bit last year and uh, parked it with fuel still in the tank and in the carburetor, uh, you might have a, a real problem um, trying to get that thing started this spring. A lot of people make a lot of money every spring trying to get people uh, to, to trying to get uh, lawnmowers uh, running for various people. Uh, that's because the stuff breaks down. Um, sure, Hunter Lower Lead will break down also, but not nearly as readily and not nearly as quickly uh, as MoGas will. You can store MoGas for literally years, and it'll still be, you know, good quality fuel. You um, have that's, gas. I mean, I mean, hundred low lead, yeah. Um, that's just one of the issues. The other issue, of course, that that uh, uh, is kind of the eight hundred pound gorilla here is the alcohol content, the ethanol right. content. Let's come back to that one second. I just want on the subject yeah. of MoGas, though, Dave, you used to use auto gas in what your Comanche or your one forty. My Cherokee 140. In the 140. Uh, I would have used it in the uh, Comanche, but it wasn't approved. It wasn't okay. I did not no know SD you. Available. I did not know you burn mo gas in your Cherokee. Yeah, yeah, but um, the majority of the time. Yeah. Now, did you do, take any special precautions to deal with this? This, you know, it's dirty, it's icky, it's gooey. Well, that's you know, that's 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 what's amusing me about this whole thing. Yeah. Uh, I. Uh, I got into into paying attention to this when the EAA was pursuing the first approvals uh, to use MoGas in a Cessna 150. Uh, and they'd flown a test bed up there for a couple of years, done hardcore scientific research. And what they'd found was that other than a slight uh, decrease in, due to the energy content being slightly lower, a slight decrease in fuel efficiency of the airplane. They didn't have any problems with vapor pressure uh, causing fuel line problems or vapor lock. Uh, they didn't have any problems with it hurting the uh, fuel system in the airplane. Uh, they didn't have any problems. 
And over a period of a couple of years after that first SDC, SDCs became available for uh, almost everything that had a uh, that originally required eighty octane av gas. Uh-huh. Uh, what I noticed in the Cherokee was that it wouldn't cruise quite as fast on a hundred percent mo gas. Uh, that blending it, if I had you know two half tanks of Avgas and topped them both off with Mogas. Uh, the speed was closer to the Avgas, pure Avgas range. And we're only talking three or four knots here. Uh, right. Which, when you're only flying a 105-knot airplane, seems like... I was going to say, it's a percentage thing, though, too, isn't it? Well, that, but the cost difference at the time, uh, and a couple other things that came up. For example... Uh, my mechanics were always very complimentary that I paid a great deal of attention to the placement of the red knob. Yeah. I really did lean the airplane Mixture, appropriate yeah. to the altitude and paid a lot of attention to that. Uh, when we did annuals or other engine maintenance that required removal of the spark plug, we had virtually no problems with lead deposits in the plugs or uh, around the electrodes. Nothing. Because we were burning mo gas more often than we were burning av gas. Uh, otherwise, the pipes were just as uh, you know the right color for an airplane that's running at the proper mixture. Uh, the plugs were lasting well, but we didn't have to put those puppies through deep cleaning cycles to get the lead deposits out of them, like we had to do a little more often with the Comanche and the 180 horse, with the fuel bladders, 91 octane engine wasn't approved for for mo gas. Uh, the biggest problem I noticed with MoGas was the difficulty in availability and the inordinate excuses that outfits would go through to tell you why they wanted to sell it but really couldn't. Uh, they had a lot of people that wanted to buy it, and they knew they were losing business to some other airport where those folks could buy it. But everything from the airport owner's or the airport operator's attorney worrying about the liability because the engine company said one thing and the fuel company said one thing, but the FAA and the STC said another. Uh, problems with fuel supply companies making FBOs sign contracts that prohibited them from selling MoGas, even somebody else's MoGas. Right, yeah. We've talked about this in the past, too. Uh, but operationally... There were just no issues. Now, I guess maybe we didn't let fuel sit in the tank the weeks and weeks it takes mm -hmm. for car gas to start to separate out and varnish things. Yeah, if you're not flying the, the airplane that much anyway, you're going you're gonna to have this show up with avgas to a certain extent as well. Uh, if you're flying the airplane, it's just not an issue. I'm sorry. I, I don't know you're going to see it show up with Avgas. I mean, you can let the airplane sit for two or three months, and you're not going to see a problem with Avgas. If you did that with MoGas, um, I'd want to know about it before you turn the key. Um, flip side of which is I have never – I've seen it in other people's plugs, other people's airplanes, but I have never, ever had a problem with lead um, in my airplane. Um I don't know why that is. Maybe it's because I run Lena Peak as often as I can. Um, but um, 
um, plugs in there now. I've been in there um, going on a year. Our annual's coming up. And um, they're fine. Well, I put fine wires in just on a whim because I got them at a really good price. Uh, I'm sure I'm not going to see any kind of lead issues with them. Mm-hmm. Um, well, le- le- leaning them. definitely helps offset yeah. that. And we didn't have terrible trouble with it in the Comanche. When the Comanche was new, we saw it. And after the cleaning that it took, uh, uh, an, an older hand than me suggested leaning on the ground mm-hmm. during warm-up and run-up. Right. And the reason he suggested that is because there were so many warm days where at the 1,300-foot elevation strip, we were looking at 4,200, 4,300-foot density altitudes and leaving it full rich while we warmed up and ran up, was just dumping an ungodly amount of, of fuel through the airplane. So we leaned pretty aggressively during warm-up, uh-huh. and that pretty much that eliminated 90% of the lead deposit problem. But then you, you still went uh, full rich for takeoff, right? Sure. No, yeah. not full rich. Not at that density altitude. Oh, no, all right, yeah, all right. But, all right, yeah. Not full rich. Uh, yeah. We would go full rich and then back it off about 100 degrees. Okay. So we saw a 100-degree yeah. uh, change in the uh, increase in the EGT. Yeah. Then we'd take yeah. off. Right. Yeah, right. presuming everything's the same. I mean, uh, presuming you're basically lo- looking at a at a sea-level density altitude, um, you still want to lean the engine on the ground because uh, That's right. it, uh, at full rich, it's um, whether it's injected, whether it's big bore, whether it's carbureted, it doesn't matter. Uh, it's designed to pump a little bit of extra fuel uh, a rich mixture um, into the cylinders when it's when in, uh, the mixture is full rich. When you're at idle power, it doesn't need nearly that much gas, right. and in fact, it'll run better. Uh, you'll see uh, an increase in RPM. That's right. Uh, uh, with a leaner mixture, uh, operating on the ground, you're, there is no way because of the the power output at that such a low RPM, such a low power setting. There is no way you can hurt the engine. Yeah. If you go too well, lean, the engine will quit, and that's how you know right. you are too lean on the ground. So you and really the, just take uh, it all the way down there while you're taxiing, and just kind of keep it as lean as you that's can. right. Yeah, keep I mean, it lean, I, lean it lean as you lean as uh, as you can while you're warming it up, and it'll warm up quicker. Actually, uh, yeah, you'll use less fuel on warm up. Yeah. It won't hurt it during run up, and I guarantee you, on even a sea level day, if you lean it. A little bit on takeoff, you're going to get better takeoff performance out of the engine. You're going to get off the ground sooner. Interesting, interesting. Getting back yeah, to the low gas. Let's be let's be careful about uh, advocating leaning um, on takeoff um, at sea level. Um, Hundred for degrees for people. Well, it, how do you measure that though? Most airplanes are not going to come with a uh, EGT. Uh, gauge that that's that that's that accurate. Uh, my my punchline is is uh, you got to make sure the engine is developing full power and has enough fuel going through it to keep it cool yeah. and to prevent detonation on on at high power settings like takeoff. After that, um, you can you can put it too rich, but uh, you're going to do far more harm by running it too lean on takeoff than running it too rich. Okay. Getting back to Mogas, um, as you said, Jeb, there is then there is the ethanol thing. Yeah, yeah. So, and I, I'm uh, sensitive that's, to that. That's what's I, complicated this greatly for 
you know, pilots yeah. that can burn mo-gas. I'm, I'm sensitive to that because I've, I've worked on an article for a consumer a few months ago on that topic. But uh, um, apparently there's a push lately to uh, increase from 10% to as much as 15% the uh, average or, or the, the maximum ethanol content of, of MoGas that you might buy uh, uh, at, at, the, at the pump throughout the country. And uh, the 10% ethanol level has created enough havoc with, uh, with um, cars, with uh, other small engines, um, lawnmowers, motorcycles, tractors, whatever, um, boats especially too. That um, a lot of people are saying, well, you know, let's wait a second here. Maybe we don't. Uh, maybe we need to rethink this ethanol thing a little bit here. Um, apparently, the EPA has a rulemaking that's just take, gotten underway on uh, ethanol content of, of MoGas, and uh, um, I, you know, I, I'm I'm in favor of of clean fuels and and biofuels and and, and all that kind of thing, just like the next guy, but. Uh, uh, ethanol is not the the solution to these these problems, mm-hmm. um, and uh, there's a lot. Of, we can get into the economics of uh, of uh, using uh, corn um, based ethanol in our fuels and and things like that all day long. But punchline is um, uh, there are other alternatives, and we don't need to be embracing ethanol right. more, even more more so than we already are. Now, there's this article from uh, Business Week. Uh-huh. I'm reading it in businessweek.com. I don't know if it was in the print magazine or not, but uh, I don't know entitled the uh, the great ethanol scam, and uh, and and some of what you were just quoting I see in this article. Is there yeah. anything else in this? I mean, what's what's the scam? Um, well, the scam part is, um, I, I think, twofold. One is again the the damage that that alcohol that, that's what ethanol, of course, is the damage that it can it can uh, wreak on. Um, Fuel systems, whether it's again small engines, uh, uh, full-size vehicles, mm-hmm. boats, uh, certainly airplanes, um, ethanol will attack the plastics and the rubber co- components in various uh, fuel systems, uh, especially older ones that weren't engineered uh, to to handle ethanol, but also um, even newer ones that. Uh, uh, in fact, perhaps are engineered for to, to handle ethanol. Part of the problem is there's not that much. Um, I, I don't want to use the word regulation, but that's that's what it comes down to. There's certainly not that much standardization of ethanol content. Uh, the pump, and we talked about this an episode or two ago. The pump label might say as much as 10 percent, um, but you really don't know, you know, what you're getting at that level. There are a number of of uh, episodes where the ethanol content of of uh, MoGas has been measured well above ten percent uh, yeah. in spot checks, where um, someone either made a mistake or someone on purpose added more ethanol to the batch than uh, they were supposed to. The other little interesting tidbit about all this is that um, in, in doing this research a couple of months ago, um, the refineries don't blend in the ethanol. The ethanol is blended in at, a de- at the depot level. Really? Uh huh. Yeah, it's not. It's not shipped. Uh, excuse me. It's not shipped in the pipelines with the ethanol already in it. Uh, when it gets to the depot and before it goes out to the uh, 
to the service stations and, and pumped into the underground tanks or the above ground tanks nowadays, um, that's where the ethanol is added, and yeah. that's where the the the, the uh, a lot of the uh, major oil companies still you know maintain some quality controls, but um, you get to uh, fuel stations and, and jobbers that are not affiliated with a major oil company, their controls, their quality controls are a lot less stringent. Mm-hmm. And if, well, you're not, just, if you're not looking the right way, um, the, the ethanol content can go through the roof. The, the punchline yeah, is, know. to me, that uh, yeah, that's, that's one of the scams. The other scam here, in, in my way of thinking, is the economics of this and the... the uh, um, the energy conservation aspects are are not as clear cut as a lot of people say they are, and in fact, some people say that it's a net energy loss by the time we spend a lot, of, use a lot of diesel fuel to raise a bunch of corn, and then transport it, and then refine it, and then transport it again as ethanol, and then dump it into the fuel, dump it into the the, the raw gasoline. Um, the um, the overall energy expend, expenditure to create and transport all that ethanol uses more fuel than we're actually saving by thinning out our gasoline. Right, right. Well, I'm I'm not prepared to buy it. To, it goes that far. It's not an economically viable alternative to petroleum. But that all of this ignores the fact that it's not approved for airplanes. So, uh, you know, yes. the, the so, political yes. aspects of it in the yeah. auto fuel system aside, yeah. there is, you know, there is we don't want the, this in the airplanes. Well, there's, and, there's an exception to that, however. Both uh, Jabiru and Rotax um, by uh, uh, service bulletin allow yeah. up to 10% ethanol content in the MoGas of the engines they manufacture that are certified to use MOGAPs. Yeah. Now, this gets into FAA um, um, certified engines. This gets into ASTM uh, engines uh, in, um, in um, LSAs, and it also gets into engines used in uh, uh, experimentals and in uh, uh, ultralights. Um, but um, that's where they kind of sort of draw the line at 10%. If we got into 15% ethanol in MoGas, um, then we've got another problem at, uh, with, with Jabiru and the Rotax-type engines, uh, especially those that are certified and especially those that are ASTM-approved. Uh, what would happen then with, with uh, MoGas? I don't know. And, and in, in reading some of the, the fine print from Jabiru and from Rotax, um, those engines are really kind of sort of designed for 93-octane premium-level unleaded gasoline. Yeah. Um, they're not really designed, some of them anyway, and, and take all this with a grain of salt, read your own fine, fine print. Some of them are not really designed at all for 100 low lead. Mm-hmm. Uh, they run best on 93-octane premium uh, motor yeah. fuel. The, the key word here being that they run best on that. Uh-huh. They can uh-huh. run on the other stuff without hurting themselves. Uh, but the uh, alcohol content, the biggest problem with 15% versus 10% goes primarily to the, the uh, loss of heat content. Right. Uh, and the engine's not going to make rated power uh, above 10%. Which I could uh, consider to be a problem. There's a, there's a plus 
there's a plus minus there's plus something minus zero factor in certifying engines uh, and they can make that rated power within the plus side with 10% ethanol they can't at 15% at least that's the way i understood it yeah. uh but the you know the 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 easiest safest thing and some airports have figured this out they've decoded it you know the blending's done not at the refiner but at mm-hmm. the distributor like you right. were saying that they can find distributors that will sell them mogas before it's blended with ethanol. Right, they can. And offer yeah. it to the aviation public. Right. Apparently, yeah, I, what Sanford, Maine has done. Yeah. The the trick there is, of course, that, um, you know, they, st- they still need some quality controls here. And uh, um, mistakes have been made, and airports have been delivered um, um, fuel with yep. ethanol in it. I, I don't know that for a fact, but I'm pretty sure about it. Right, right. Uh, well, there's a way to test for that. And oh, it's yeah, fairly simple. It's very simple. Uh, and the, uh, the, as far as I know that MoGas has different variations and company A's formula is not exactly like company B's formula, but just like aviation fuel, car gas has to meet a standard. Even though the formulations may vary, if they meet that standard, then they should be safe to use in an engine that has an STC to use MoGas. And in the case of the STC engines, that's 87 octane MoGas, uh, not premium, that uh, they need. And they run along quite fine on it. Yeah. Uh, I don't think there's ever been a documented incident, uh, accident, engine failure, uh, that has been documented, traced to pinpointed on the use of MoGas instead of AvGas in an engine and fuel system that was approved for it. And the STC process for this is actually a two-step thing. There's an engine STC, there's an airframe STC. That's right. Yeah. Uh, hey, AA and another outfit still sell them. Yeah. We need, we need to move along here because we're running out of time here. But uh, um, we, um, Moving right along. I was we are nearly AA. done talking about aviation fuel we've been talking about it for two and a half years now speaking of gas speaking of, i'm sorry is there a story a story on the list about gas? i was going to jump ahead here um now you got me now i got to go back and look at the list here what's <laughs> speaking sorry of gas. Know, there's a joke in there that i'll get when i listen to the episode again later yeah. on tonight um this story would have been really cool if i were still down in raleigh durham um but it's cool nevertheless uh one of you has uh, found out, found and, and called to our attention something called Operation Fly NC, as in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is we the, we uh, talked about this a couple of years ago. Is this the one we uh, talked about? Yeah, I remember. Well, no, we talked about it relative to Virginia. Virginia had a similar program, and of course, Virginia and North Carolina share a border. Mm-hmm. But um, this is a uh, um, visit every public airport in North Carolina kind of thing. Um, you get a little passport. You get it stamped at uh, um, at FBOs when you visit these airports, um, and um, you, you get some visibility. You get some prizes. Um, you, you attend safety events. It's it's a nice little promotion. It's a nice little way to get out there and and go in search of hundred dollar hamburgers. And it's a nice way to uh, visit places that you might not otherwise get a chance to visit. Uh, there are eighty. 81 airports in North Carolina uh, listed on this uh, Operation Fly NC 
com website. Oh, and there's some great ones and, to visit uh, on there, too, man. Um, but anyway, punchline is, uh, here's a nice little program North Carolina's uh, using to promote uh, tourism in their state via general aviation aircraft. And uh, it's not it's not brand new in the sense that other states, uh, i.e. Virginia, have done this in the past. But now North Carolina is doing it. Hopefully some other states will take it up. Yeah, so if you're in North Carolina or near North Carolina, here's a, a great, a great uh, excuse to go flying. And uh, sometimes it's all we need to tip us over the edge. We just need a yeah, that's all. Yeah, all we need is another excuse. Yeah, right. So, that's right. So uh, take a look at this. Uh, it's a little bit complicated URL here, but... Uh, but we'll put yeah, I don't know why they don't have a discrete one. We'll put it in the show notes. I bet if you Google Operation Fly NC, you'll also find it. So, as a matter of fact, some of the- no, th- apparently this is a good no, the URL. The prizes aren't bad either. Let me try this URL here. Um, let's see here. Yeah, this does work. Um, a simpler one is just OperationFlyNC.com, all one word, uh, okay. except for the .com, OperationFlyNC. Well, you know, if, if ever, I mean, even if you're not going to do all 81, you know, you're right. not in North Carolina or live in an adjacent state, there's some cool airports to visit that are on the list. They got a little list on the homepage there that talks about airports where the stamp that you get to prove you landed at one of these airports is located in a non-standard area uh, of the FBO. One of them is uh, First Flight Airport, Kill Devil Hills, mm-hmm. North Carolina, mm. designator Fox Fox Alpha. Uh, another one is not too far away, Ocracoke, uh, on the island there uh, in North Carolina. Roanoke Rapids. I mean, these are some neat places to go. Yeah. Go out to Ash County and the far western edge of the state uh you could go to some you know mainstream airports uh in charlotte of course uh but uh some of these are really neat places to visit even without the program so absolutely if if, if by any chance you need any additional excuses here's 81 of them yeah you know i was while we were while we were sitting all this time I spent sitting at uh, at uh, RD, RDU, uh, Raleigh-Durham International, today. Uh, one thing I noticed was uh, how many smaller aircraft were on this runway. I mean, there was like a, you know, when we finally got around to taking off, um, the air, aircraft right ahead of us was a, uh, was a warrior or an archer or something. Um, and uh, I saw a number of small piston aircraft uh, using the same runway as the big jet. I mean, yeah, Raleigh's mean got a pretty healthy use, mix. You're allowed you mean those things, those little things are allowed to use those yeah, I know. Well, of course they're allowed, but Man. sometimes you don't see it on, a, on an airport. You know, these airports, and so I was just looking it up here. Uh, so it's a class Charlie airport, um, RDU is, and uh, um, it didn't have any really big iron, but but uh, it was a lot of, of uh, airline. I was surprised when we when we went in there that it was as busy an airline airport as it, as it is. And, uh, um, but, it's probably uh, one of those airports with the TSA's stupid badge program. Uh, oh, it's man. causing more heartache than it's solving security issues. I don't know if we want to get Not into that. Not that I have an opinion on it. Yeah, right. I, we need to wrap this thing up. Um, yeah, and and that's going to take. That's going to be a long, long. There is some news on that this week. Yeah. Um, so let's just talk uh, about it for just a few. Yeah, minutes let's here. talk about it. Here's the situation, and I confess that this has sort of been off my radar. I remember hearing about this story some months ago. 
Um, and then it sort of just fell off my ear. This is the thing where there was a new TSA or Homeland Security program uh, that was going to take effect that would require anyone using any airport that had scheduled airline service. Am I correct about that? That's correct. Um, that airport would have to implement some sort of security badge system. Now, that's bad enough on the face of it. Then it got even uglier because the the feds wouldn't mandate a particular security badge program. They just said, all, all you guys just make your own, okay? And so we were going to have this cacophony of security badges. And then there's the whole issue about people visiting an airport, right. w- which which has airline, you know, and, you know, are you allowed to get out of your airplane, you know, on the ramp, you know, I mean, or, or what, all right? Well, now, the news the last ten- couple... Tenants at these airports on the GA side who didn't have to, this is about 330 airports, numbers right, I remember this right. There were a whole lot of tenants who did not share access to the airline's operations area uh, who were exempt from a similar rule for airports like Wichita Midcontinent where GA and airlines coexist along the same flight line. I thought it didn't uh, matter. I thought if you shared a runway, you had to have a badge. Well, well that's, the, that's the new iteration is if you share a runway, you got to get a badge. And to get a badge, all these people, the tenants and the workers, uh, the, you know, based flight crew, have to have a criminal background check done, have to be fingerprinted. Then the airport has to come up with a security program to show how they're handling that, and then they have to come up with their own badge. Yeah, now, so now what's the latest on every this? Every airport is going to have a different badge. Now, this was supposed to take effect, what, June 1st? Mm-hmm. Yes. And And isn't there some sort of change in the last well there, there is news on this uh, it's not on our list here basically um, I think that they are um, going to um, I think delay implementation of this or uh, no, no. light lighten you know change a definition of it or something like that I, I lost They're lightening the, up on the transient pilot thing. yeah okay okay the way the rule was structured uh, originally written, uh, you know, something or other dash F. Uh, if Jack Hodgson flew into an airport where he wasn't badged, but where badges are required, he couldn't leave the aircraft, couldn't move around uh, until a badged escort came out and brought him in. If he wants to go back and forth and load his airplane and tend to fueling, somebody badged would have to be with him at every move. Uh, what the TSA did with the golf update, which they call a, uh, a interpretive change, is say that if you're transient and come in, you're in an airplane, you land at these places, you don't have to have the escorts, you don't have to have the badge. They're not delaying implementation, and they're not backing off on the insanity of this whole thing that all these 330 airports have to each come up with a different program and issue a different badge based on some overlapping interpretation of the same regs. Uh, it, it, it fits the initials. Totally stupid action. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Um. Yeah, craziness. So I guess, you know, just a word to the wise, if you fly into an airport that uh, 
that uh, has scheduled airline service, make sure you double check and make sure you don't get yourself. Well, jammed and if up. you're flying internationally, uh, we got new rules going into That's effect. Right. Yeah, yet another uh, on, yet another on, series of rules. What is it? You have to go onto yeah. a website and you have to declare your passenger list or something like that. Is Forty-eight that? hours before you leave the country, and then you have to. Um, um, Send an email or a fax, or I think it's email or website access, which is kind of hard sometimes in some islands. Uh, oh, there's to actually get back phone in. access now for GA operations, yeah. and you can pre-fly, pre-file your return before you leave. So then all you have to do is make a phone call to activate it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like if you're going to Canada, say uh, to Ice Fish. And the people flying up with you are the same people flying back. You can file both directions in advance and then set that up with a phone call. Uh, it is a small concession to reality. Uh, I've got to uh, tip my wing to TSA in that particular case. I wasn't really a believer that they recognized reality, but I've proven wrong. Cool. Okay, uh, shout-outs. Um, first of all, first of all, yeah, yeah. Uh, Will Hawkins says hi, by the way. Will Hawkins ah. has the remarkable ability to know when we're recording this podcast, even though we often don't know until <laughs> moments before. Because it's, a, it's remarkable how often while we're, we're uh, recording our podcast here on Skype. Yeah, when are we doing the next one? <laughs> that Will will, will pop up and start... start when uh, are we doing tonight? Instant messaging me, so... Uh, um, so we were, I was just, Will just, uh, just kind of said hi to me and we were chatting for about six lines here and he, and I, and I said, okay, but I'm recording the podcast right now. And he goes, Oh, sorry. He said, just tell the guys I said, hi. So <laughs> hi, well, I got a quick, I got a quick lightweight shout out to, uh, uh, good friends with Honeywell corporation uh-huh. who, uh, were nice enough to, uh, include me in an opportunity this week, but it's not. A shout-out for them doing that. It's a shout-out to Honeywell at large for the 50th anniversary of the Bendix King line, mm. which came into existence in 1959. Mm. So they're going to be celebrating 50 years of the Bendix King line this year. And uh, I, I, I think that's a worthy point of a shout-out, saying congratulations on half a decade. Hope you get better, faster, and leaner. Yeah. Great. That's terrific. Um, I want to give a quick shout-out, and maybe, I don't know if you have one, Jeb, but... Uh, uh, we, we I have a send quick a, one also. Go ahead. We want to send a shout-out to a great friend of the podcast, uh, Terry Fowler, uh, is, uh, is, uh, has been a great, great supporter of the podcast, and I understand he listens on a regular basis. Uh, Terry is, uh, is with our friend Dave Schalbetter, uh, one of the co-chairs of uh, Sun and Fun Radio down in Lakeland, Florida. And uh, and has been a, a great host to us over the years. Terry wasn't able to attend Sun and Fun this year because just prior to the event, uh, he was diagnosed with some fairly serious medical problems, and he had to immediately uh, start fighting that fight. And uh, uh, we just heard from Dave Schalbetter that uh, Terry is is doing well, and uh, and although he's still uh, battling, uh, he is. Uh, I, I just read one paragraph from from Dave's email. He says. Uh, uh, Terry told me that he feels fine. He's just wanting to get this kicked so that he can go on with his life. What a great attitude. Uh, and that will go a long way through helping him mm-hmm. through this. So uh, uh, we want to congratulate Terry on the progress he's made. And we want to kind of tell him that our thoughts are with him and uh, and uh, and our prayers are with him. And that uh, we're sure that he's going to get through this thing. And we'll see him next spring, if not sooner. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, um, man. We're rooting for you. Yep. Another friend of the podcast, real quickly, to shout out to is uh, Rick Durden. Uh, he's been on with us before uh, talking about various topics. Um, but uh, Rick is uh, going to take over the slot as the new editor of IFR Refresher magazine, one of the sister publications to Aviation Safety. Wow. And was in was in town this week, uh, um, getting uh, some some training, as it were. And we got to hang out a little bit, have lunch, and and talk about some old times. And it was it was good to get some FaceTime with Rick. And uh, uh, just wanted to to give him a shout out. Is he going to be based down there? He's well, he's Michigan, or is he? Yeah, he's, in, he's, he's, not he was, he's not moving to Florida. He, no, he just relocated to, to um, Colorado. Actually, uh, okay. Was he Michigan or was he California? He was, he he was in Grand Rapids. Yeah. Michigan, yeah, yeah. Okay, right, yeah. Uh, Colorado, huh? Whereabouts in Colorado? You know, he told me. I want to say it's uh, between the Springs and Denver. Um, okay, all right. Somewhere yeah. in that area. Yeah. Well, that's cool. That's cool. We wish yeah, him the best. That is good. And so we'll have to get him back yeah. on the, uh, we, we in the will. air one of these we days. We will. Yeah. That's great. Anything else? No. Not for me. Okay. I'm sorry. I feel like I've been cooked at 375 degrees for 80 minutes. Right. Definitely time to stick a fork in this one. Jeb Burnside uh, is an aviation journalist. He's also currently serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Jeb, where can people find you on the Internet? AviationSafetyMagazine.com, and if you'll check, www.jeburnside is up. I got it. Get out. Yeah, he is. Cool. We'll go take a look. Knock me over with a feather. I'm going to be doing some updates to it here over the next few weeks. Very cool. uh, It's finally back. uh, It's finally broadcasting again. And uh, and I might pop up every now and then on uh, AvWeb. That's right. And Dave Higdon is an aviation photographer, also an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales magazine. And where can f- people find you on the Internet, Dave? Oh, avbuyer.com, davehigdon.biz, uh, uncontrolledairspace.com. Yeah. Uh, and I am Jack Hodge. I'm sorry, I wasn't sure if you were done. I was like waiting for you. <laughs> it's like, I didn't want to cut you off there, but it's suddenly saying, oh, wait a minute, he's done. You've reached the end of the internet. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and I am Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. You can learn more about me at jackhodgson.com or aroundthefield.net. As always, a big thanks goes out to uh, Jeff Ward for creating our uh, show notes each week. Also to the many of our listeners, and particularly to Mike Morgan and Royce Earl for creating our show opening disclaimer clips. We're also very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. Uh, and uh, don't forget that you can visit with all of us at the Uncontrolled Airspace website. You can read the blog, you can view the forums, you can check out the wiki, the airport restaurants list, the aviation movies list, and more. That's all at Uncontrolled. Sometimes we're just as sardonic there as we are live. That's right. And that's all at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, what were you going to say? Live longer and fly, folks, because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. That's right. That's enough talking. Let's go flying. TTFM. TFM.